Let's turn to the scriptures, please, again. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're still on the theme, Old Covenant Sympathy and New Covenant Empathy. I think this is part 6. As I said, I want to take our time. And I want you to get it into you. I want you to understand that, that when you go home, when you're at work or wherever you are, no matter what you've come through or how you've been, you can always... Have this within your heart. You know, it's like a, a, a little story I once read about the early 1900s. There was a young girl and she started going to a, a children's meeting. And they were given a little strip of paper with a verse of scripture on it for memorizing. And she memorized it and she memorized it and she memorized it all the way out of the meeting and up the street and she was getting an open top tram and she had it in her hand and she went up to the top of the tram and she sits down, the tram starts moving and she's sitting looking at this verse of scripture memorizing it and memorizing it over and over again and suddenly a gust of wind comes and blows it out of her hand blows it out of the tram and away up the street and the wee girl lets a big squeal out of her a shriek and the conductor was coming up and he says dear what's wrong with you darling she says the word the word the word of God I've lost it I've lost it and the conductor was a Christian and he knelt down beside her and he says darling you have not lost the word the word is on page on the way up the street. He says, the word of God is now within your heart. And when we get the word in our hearts, it doesn't matter where we are, what's happening in our lives. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter the stress. It doesn't matter the trouble that we have come through or going into. It doesn't matter even how far, how low we feel we have sank or strayed in our walk with God. When we have the word in our hearts, it assures us, especially here, that's the idea of taking this slow, taking our time, that we can always come knowing that we're welcome to come to the throne of grace. No matter what's come your way. That's why we're taking our time at this first. Uh, let's let your eye run down. Verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, shut us now in with yourself and help us to see the great heart of our Father. Help us to experience in you the love of God and help us to receive it with gladness. To take it home. To take it into our lives. May we be vessels carrying this treasure the word of God. Increase our faith and encourage your people 
and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, we're not going to do a recap simply because there's been so many weeks. I think this is week six. This is where we finished off last week. We'll go straight into it. And if you'll let your eye run down to verse 15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, notice, let us therefore, because of who he is, because of not only his sympathy, but because of his empathy, because he is an high priest who knows what it's like to be tempted, to be tried, tried, to be tired, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to know what it's like to be a human being when God became flesh. Because of that, it says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We looked last week at the word boldly. The word boldly is not irreverence. It's not that we come irreverently. It's not that we come as though we're ordering God to do something that we want. It's not as if we come like a child that's been spoiled. I want, I want, give me, give me, give me. It's nothing like that. The idea of the word boldly here is the Greek word parousia. And parousia, as I told you, the Greek word means boldly and so many other English words. But the richness of this Greek word can mean so much more. Let me give you an idea which this word for boldly, which is parousia, what it means. It means confidence. So let us come confidently, with confidence to the throne of grace. It means with full assurance. It means to come with freedom of speech. In other words, you're not afraid to come before God and speak. Tell him how you're really feeling, what you're going through. It gives the idea to come with an absence of fear. Now, notice that, an absence of fear. So when you come and you're coming, whether it's into this place we gather together to worship, we are coming boldly, with confidence, with freedom of speech, freedom in the spirit. It's with absence of fear. But I've done this and I've done that. Listen, if you know that you've done wrong, get it right with God and move on. Get right with God and move on. God wants you into his presence more than you want to come into his presence. God wants to save the unsaved man and woman more than the unsaved man and woman want to be saved because they're dead in their trespasses and in their sins. God calls us all the time. We've looked at that. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And he wants you to come. It's free, it's full salvation, nothing to add, nothing to give, you come. It's the same that the throne of grace where Christians are to come, times of prayer, times of worship, times of reading and meditating on God's word, times of devotion. The throne of grace isn't having to come to an altar at a church front. The throne of grace is wherever you pray. Wherever you are, throne of grace. I'm at the throne of grace when I'm over the fields walking my dog and talk to the Lord. I'm at the throne of grace when I'm in my room and shut my study door. I'm at the throne of grace when I pull over my car and want to pray about something, want to thank the Lord and worship him. 
And so are you, Christian, so are you. So the throne of grace is not a place, but it's a condition. It's where you are at that time and a position of where you are at that time. And you're positioned in Christ this morning. If you're a child of God, you are in Jesus this morning. So you can freely and fully come with the absence of fear. Now notice, it means to, this word parousia for boldly also means to speak plainly without parable or proverb. In other words, God wants you to come and be honest with him. Just be honest with him. Now you can come and put on a face and I can come and put on the suit and the shirt and the tie uh, and you can come and, you know, do your Sunday best and we put on a face. Because nobody wants to look at people with the long face all the time. So we put on a face. But when you come before God, God wants you not to bring a parable, not to blame someone else or something else, not to make up a story to try and educate God. He doesn't want you to come to to try and and bring uh, an excuse to him why a certain thing has happened. He just wants you to come and say, Lord, here I am. This is me. He sees through you clearer than you and I see through a plain pane of glass. And he wants you to come and be honest. Remember Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden and they hid because they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. And the Lord was saying, Adam, Adam, where art thou? Now, do you think the Lord didn't know where Adam was? Of course he knew where he was. But the call was, come to me, Adam. Come as you are. Come without excuse. Come and tell me what you've done. Come and tell me how you've fallen. Don't bring a parable nor a proverb to me, Adam. Come in honesty and in all fullness of it and speak to me face to face. Of course, Adam came out with his fig leaves on. We hid because we heard your voice and we were afraid. But they tried their own covering, which didn't work. And of course, we know God covered them with animal skins, which in then entailed slaying an innocent animal for their sin. And that's why Christ, the innocent, spotless Lamb of God, died for the guilty, for you, for me. Because you were guilty. Because I was guilty. He was innocent. And his blood was shed. The Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, John cried. So here we have, the Lord says, I want you to come plainly and honestly. Now we don't need to turn to it this morning, but Hebrews 10, verses 35 and 36, we use the word again, it says, Cast not, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Then verse 36 says, For ye have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. The word here for confidence again is parousia. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Brother, have you cast away your confidence in the Lord? Sister, have you cast away your confidence in the Lord? Is your confidence cast away that does this God really save? You cast it away. If you cast your confidence away in the Lord, does this God hear my prayers at all? 
Is there really a God at all? Here the writer is saying, do not cast away your confidence in him. He is our confidence and don't cast it away. Maybe you're sitting saying, I've been praying for a thing for such a long time and there seems no breakthrough. Cast away the confidence because it's natural for the human being to want to walk away and give up. The Hebrew writer tells us, cast not away therefore your confidence. Has your confidence been cast away because you think, well I've went so far, God will never forgive me now, God will never accept me now. And so you cast away your confidence again. What you're doing is you're belittling God and you're taking him and bringing him down to man's level then. And let's be honest. Really anything outside of our own family, i.e. our children, our love is fickle. Let's be honest. Our love is a phileo love. Phileo love is a love that we can love one another as long as we get on with them or as long as they do what I like or as long as they sing songs that I want to sing or as long as they preach what I want them to preach. We can love you. But outside of that, we start, well, or as long as you keep helping me, or as long as you keep giving to me, as long as you keep being good to me, I'll be good to you. You see, and that's, that's, a, that's a communal phileo love. It's a love that's a, it's a bit fickle. And when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? What he was saying is, do you agape love? Is the love called out of your heart for me? In other words, when your children are born, I said this to Daniel and Paul a lot on Monday when I was speaking to them, you don't have to try and love them. Child's just born, you don't even know them. Know the child, the child doesn't know you. All you know is that this is yours and the love is called out of your heart for that little one. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Agape love is a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. I'll say it again. Agape love is a love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. And when you're looking at the little one and your child, the call the love out of your heart because they're precious to you. And that's why we're told in John's letter, 1 John, it says, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. For they that love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. The word love is agape. Don't let the world and the things of the world call out the love of your heart. Don't let it be the thing that your heart is given to. Don't let the thing that, 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 that whether it's, a, whether it's a, even a sport or whether it's an, a, a, an addiction or whether it's something that you love, And it's calling out your heart all the time. He says, if that is where your heart is, and if that's where your love is, the love that should be called out for God is not there. It's the idea of it. It 
can be whatever calls our love out of our heart. It's so precious. The love of the world. The things of the world. And the love of God has died in our lives. You see, don't cast away, cast away your confidence. God's love is an agape love for you this morning. In other words, you call a love out of God's heart. I want you to get that now this morning before you leave here. You, yes you, call the love out of God's heart. Well, what do I do to call the love out of God's heart? What does your child do to call the love out of yours? Nothing. Yes, we enjoy it when we see their little characters building. We enjoy it when we see them getting up to their little performances before us. And we enjoy it when we see them learning to walk after they have fell around the furniture for a period of time. We, we love it. We see it. We enjoy it. We get pleasure from it. And so Christ in a life that is devoted and sanctified unto him, our Father loves that. But he loves you because you call the love out of his heart. And so we see the weight. We see the importance. We see the gravity. We see the glory of the cross of Calvary. Because you and I were on the broad road to destruction. On our way to a lost eternity. Going to hell. But you called the love out of the Father's heart. And something had to be done because you can't do it. You can't save yourself. You can't make it on your own steam. In your own merit. There's nothing you can add to what Christ has done. The Father says something must be done to save the one I love. And what does he do? He sends his own heart to the bosom of the Father. He sends his own heart in the person of his Son. And in this was manifest the love of God for us. That is the cross of Calvary. That's the weight of Calvary. That's the importance of coming by the way of the cross. That's the depth of it. That's the height of it. That's the width of it. That's the breadth of it. That's the the heaviness that God puts upon Calvary. And all of us coming by the way of the cross. It's that he loved you. But he gave his own heart for you. And men shake the fist at God. And men say there is no God. And of course men try and make it their own way, their own religion, their own denomination on their own steam. Notice this, cast not away your confidence. I want to do another one, uh, one or two verses and then we'll wrap this up just briefly. We looked last week at, at 1 John 3, 20, 21. We'll not turn to it again. And 1 John 
5 and 14. But turn with me to 1 John 4, please. 1 John 4. 1 John 4. Verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed that we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. There's a little word here in 1 John 4 and verse 16. Sorry, verse 17 rather. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. See the word boldness? It's the same, let us come boldly under the throne of grace. Parousia. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. The idea here is, John's telling us that those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have received him as Lord and Savior, those of us who are trusting solely, totally and completely in the blood of Jesus, says that there is a day of judgment, but when we stand before God, we're not going to stand in judgment. We'll stand with confidence. We'll stand with assurance. We'll stand with an absence of fear. Remember I said, no, take note of that. We'll stand with an absence of fear because we will stand in the love of God. You're going to stand overwhelmed in the love of God. You're going to be overcome with the love of God. It says here in verse 18, there is no fear in love. Notice there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. The idea here is there's no element. There is no element of fear at all in love. There is no element of fear at all in love. In other words, there will not be one little element of fear in the day of judgment for those who are trusting Christ alone. Brother, if you can take this in, sister, no matter when we think of past life, past experiences and failures and everything and gather it all up and think that the weight of the cross has done this for you. The weight of Calvary has done this. The blood of Jesus has paid this and accomplished it. And yet we uh, men reject Christ and turn away from it and say, well, I'll make my own way. I'll do my own thing. I'm not a bad person. And yet all the time they're thrown away their confidence of the cross. They're throwing away their confidence of what Christ has done. And they're pulling that great sacrifice, God's own heart, in the person of his son coming to bleed and die for them, to give his life for them. They're turning it away and they're saying, I don't need it or it's not enough. 
I'll believe in Jesus with some sort of belief and I'll try my best another way. No, 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 no. Do not pull the work of Christ down. Do not pull that beautiful cross work which redeemed us with precious blood and bring it down to a mere religious ideology. This is God himself. This is a very will, mind, logos, word, nature, son of God himself. God's bosom, God's darling, the apple of his eye. The apple of the father's eye. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he said. And men try think we'll do it ourselves. There is no fear when I stand before God. And I'm not boasting of that of myself. I boast in Christ alone. There is no fear when I come to the throne of grace and say, Lord, I've failed you. I know it might surprise you. You you all think I'm perfect, but I'm not. (laughs) I'm far from it. I'm a human being. I'm a man. I'm trying my best to to do God's work. I'm trying my best to labor in the work of the Lord. I'm trusting in his grace and leaning on his everlasting arms. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on his power and trusting in it alone. But I stand before him. This is what I'll say. Save by grace alone. This is all my plea. The idea is that as God is love, we're also told God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It means that God is pure and perfect light. Our light has spots in it. Dark spots, little spots we wouldn't see. The light that you turn on your living room has spots of darkness. The sun's light even has spots of darkness. But the purity of God's light is that that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. Herein is the same. God is love and in him there's no element of fear at all for those who love Jesus and are in him. Brother, what have you heard this morning? Sister, what have you heard? Friend, what have you heard? Have you heard that you're deeply loved? Deeply loved. Have you heard that God wants to greatly bless you? Here is the finish of this, the conclusion of this word, boldly. One more verse, and that's me done. Colossians, please. Colossians. I'm just bringing these words out. I don't want to go into whole studies on every chapter that I open up. Colossians, please, chapter 2. And let your eye run down. Verse 13. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now notice that. Okay, Christian, 
Now, if you're not saved, you can't say this, but if you're trusting in Jesus and you're born again of the Spirit, okay, Christian, I trust you've got the, 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 the true translation of God's Word here, uh, the KJV, the AV version. If you haven't, please read it off the screen with me, this one verse. Okay, let's read it together. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many trespasses? All trespasses. When you're in Christ, how many trespasses? All trespasses. Are you telling me that he knew I would fail him this morning? Yes. Yes. Are you telling me that he knew that I would be weak tomorrow? Yes. Are you telling me that he paid for next week if the Lord spares us all? That he paid for my failures and my sins of next week? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. He paid for all trespasses. Am I saying you have to walk in an open course of sin? Now grace may abound. No, 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 no. God forbid. So let me make that clear. I'm playing, okay? Yes, you're forgiven. But notice what it says here. Verse 14, blotting out all out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, kneeling it to the cross, having spoiled principalities and powers, and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What am I saying? The word openly here, making a show of them openly, it's the word parousia. Same word for boldly, for confidence, for assurance. The word openly here means when Christ was nailed to the cross, He didn't hide his love for you. Did you get that? He didn't do it in a corner. He didn't hide it under a bushel. He didn't say, well, I love you, but I'm going to hide this cross in the desert and say, well, it happened somewhere where few seen it. He done it openly. And all the powers of darkness were against him. And he hung and bled and died on the cross, the very heart of God, because he loves you. I've backslidden, he still loves you. I've went wayward, he still loves you. I've got up to no good, he still loves you. But he says, come to me to the throne of grace. Listen, obtain mercy. Obtain mercy. And find grace to help. A time of need. And the Lord's will will start there.